Your move, creep. Wish me luck, Freezer. You go, Ben Coco. Dino DMA. Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. It's the only thing I know how to do. It's a good looking boy. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate. That's night more! Welcome to Earth. You crossed the line. You know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Let's talk about a little bit of how this movie was made. This movie's um, wild. Mo- yes. I'll go into to the, the stuff that I found was interesting. Um, it was written by Kevin Williamson, who was uh, pretty much starting out his screenwriting career. Big fan of horror movies. So he writes a movie that he wants to see, basically. He wants to make a movie that's an ode to all these movies that he loves watching. And... It's very graphic and his agent's telling him like, bro, this is too much. No one's going to want to buy it. But somebody did. The the Weinsteins, Miramax, they're for their Dimension Films subsidiary. I don't know what you call that. Because Dimension Films is part of Miramax or was part of Miramax, wasn't it? Oh, no, it was was part of Miramax. The way that they're all like split up and it's all the same thing. It's weird. But they picked it up and they were like, yeah, we want to make your movie. How about Wes Craven? We should get Wes Craven to do this. But at the time, Wes Craven was like, I don't want to do horror movies anymore. I'm done with them. I've been there, done that. He, he may have had a problem with how misogynistic horror movies were. Yes. Which was like, oh, man, that's pretty progressive of Wes Craven. And it turns out that he actually was like a really nice guy to work with. Everybody who worked with him says he was a really sweet guy. There's someone quoted him saying that just because we're making a horror movie doesn't mean the experience has to be horrific, which is like, damn, this sounds like the best boss ever. Yeah. But it's it's hard to say because, you know, none of us worked for him. We're just reading interviews with people who worked with him and he he passed away tragically in 2015. But Mm -hmm. I would like to believe he was a nice guy to work for. And I would like to believe he had a problem with horror movies being leaning into misogyny. And the first person that came into our minds was Wes Craven. I mean, when you think about the first Nightmare on Elm Street, if that's the only movie you watch, you see that this guy can scare you. He's Why Wes? Well, he's the best there is. So I figured if we're going to make our first uh, Dimension movie, why not go with the best? He was not interested in doing this, which was a huge disappointment. I passed, and I passed for... Um quite a while. I think the reason that I passed on it was my usual stupidity. You know, just I, I have this long, long, career-long ambivalence towards doing genre films, and um, I don't want to sound like uh, I'm prissy, but there is an element to the genre that is uh, can be said to be misogynistic, for instance, and always carving up girls. And there's a part of me that feels like, how much longer do you want to do this? There's hope out there for good people. It reminds industry. me of Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi mm-hmm. kind of, he seems like a really cool, nice, sweet guy. Um, people have said very positive things about him. And even he's kind of gone on to kind of lament some of the things that he did in, in some of his earlier films, Evil Dead, particularly the rape scene in that one. Mm-hmm. And he went on to say like, yeah, I kind of regret doing that because I was young and I wanted to be edgy, but I kind of maybe have taken it a little too far at times. And I'm like, I like that, you know, like kind of someone reflecting on their own work and kind of their shortcomings yeah. and just being in because he could have very shows easily growth 
yeah, it, it shows growth. And he very could have easily been like, you're fucking wrong. You're stupid. This is, I'm a genius and stuff like that. And cancel culture has gone too far. Yeah. And it's <laughs> you know? like, I, I don't, I'm not saying that creators have to backtrack on everything that they do. You know, like there are decisions that are like, no, I think I stand by this decision because I felt like it was the right thing to do. But I do like creators kind of stepping back and looking at some of these things and being like, ah, this hasn't aged well. I could have gone mm-hmm. and di- done it differently. You know what I mean? Like there yeah. is just something, there's something about that that signals growth. And I like that. Yeah. So the script, it wasn't called Scream. It was actually called Scary Movie. Which we talked about in our Scary which Movie did, episode. Which is is funny that <laughs> somebody decided, no, this is a dumb name for a movie. Call it Scream. I like the way that sounds. With its self-conscious jokes and inside references, Kevin Williamson's title, Scary Movie, seemed to be perfect, but not everyone agreed. I said, you've got the wrong title. And he said, why? And I said, it's a scary, terrified movie with elements of comedy. The original title of Scream was Scary Movie, so and we all loved it. And then we heard that uh, Bob wanted to call it Scream. We were not happy at all that they changed the title. You know, it was a mandate. It was absolutely a mandate from Bob and Harvey. We changed the title. Michael Jackson had a um, song out, and Harvey's listening to it, and of course the song was Scream. So I called him up, and I said, guys, we've got the title, Scream. And when that came out of his mouth, it was like there was a moment of, of silence. Everyone was like, yes, that's the title of the movie. Um, that was one of the places where Bob prevailed, thank God. But anyway... I, oh, I, I uh, honest, well, it was Bob Weinstein who kind of stepped in. It was, wasn't it? It was. it was Bob Weinstein that said, change the name of your movie and then would later distribute a movie called Scary Movie. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what I'll say. I really like the name change. I do, too. I, I think, think Scream okay. just works so much better, especially with the ghost face design. And Scary mm-hmm. Movie works as a as a better as a comedic parody of scream i thought that was so cool but um yes i do think i i think that was a, a good thing i'll say this i mean look obviously um the wine scenes have gone on to especially harvey has gone on to to do terrible things not so it, from what i've heard harvey didn't have too much an involvement with this one it, it doesn't sound like a lot of stories lead to him a lot of the stories involve bob weinstein and i'll give credit where credit is due Bob kind of did a good job with this one. Some of the parts deci- of it, I think. Parts of it, yes, because yeah, parts of it. He helped the film become what it is. He, I mean, he obviously pushed back on certain things, but I'm glad to hear that he helped a bit of the movie come together. Yeah. So they they have the script. They're they're trying to cast it. They cast Drew Barrymore as Sydney. Mm-hmm. Sydney was the main character. They're going to have her be the main character. And that's actually but, what convinced Wes Craven to hop on the film. Yes, he's like, oh, y'all got Drew Barrymore? Okay, I'm coming out of retirement from scary movies to do scary movie. <laughs> um, and it's funny that this name change thing, because like you'll you'll hear them, the last line of the movie is like, out of some scary movie, you know? And it feels like, oh, that was from when the name was scary movie. But actually, they actually they wrote that line towards the end of the movie. They're trying to think of something for Gail to say during the sunset. But there's like parts of it where it's like they say scary movie and it feels like, oh, this is when the movie was called something else. But then there's a line that Stu has. You're going to love this. It's going to be a scream, baby. <laughs> <laughs> that that kind that came after the name change. Um, 
I don't know. It's it's like a fun thing to to watch the movie and figure out. Okay, when did they know that their name was going to be different? Yeah, and, and it's just another... cool in general when people name name drop the name of the movie. It's like the Leo thing, like the Leo meme from once yeah, upon a time. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've referenced that so many times. That should be like a square on our eventual bingo card. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Um. So they they cast Drew Barrymore, but Drew Barrymore. Okay, so this is where like stories start to differ, right? Because on the Hollywood Reporter, it says that she actually liked, wanted to play the part of Casey because it would be so much more of a shock mm-hmm. that, oh, Drew Barrymore's in the movie. Oh, shit, Drew Barrymore's dead? It's kind of like that whole psycho thing where you mm-hmm. had the big actress play um, Marion, right? Her name is Marion. I can't remember Psycho right now, but uh... I can't remember it either. But he had like a big actress play a character that's in the beginning of the movie who you you think she's going to be the main character because she's the big star, but they kill her. And it's a big it's a shock because she's in quite a bit of the movie. And in Scream, you have Drew Barrymore being 13 minutes of the opening act and she dies. So the idea for her to to I don't want to be Sydney. I want to be Casey. That was due to Drew Barrymore pitched that. At about five or six weeks of till we were to shoot uh, in prep, she changed her mind. What does she want to do? She wants to just be in the opening. I remember Drew actually telling us, the audience will think, because I'm Drew Barrymore, that I'll survive this movie and I get killed in the first, you know, five minutes of the film. We were not happy uh, at all. But, you know, we were on board. And I almost said, okay, that's it, I'm out of here. I think for a minute there, Wes thought about quitting. But he didn't quit. Rather, Craven and his team adjusted to Barrymore's bold new idea. She loved that opening sequence. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. It was such a canny decision. She worked for five days. And she made a niche in cinematic history for her genre films in that five days of incredible work. And even though Drew Barrymore would no longer be playing the lead, the producers and Wes Craven quickly realized that losing their star didn't mean losing her star power. With Drew being attached, that's really what got the rest of the cast into it. And she either pitched it because, uh, if you go to Wikipedia, it says that she had commitment issues and she couldn't be in the rest of the movie but she really wanted to be in the movie, so she picked the part of Casey. On The Hollywood Reporter, it doesn't say anything about the commitment issues. It just made it seem like it was her idea that, oh, this will be sick if I was in the movie and I died at the very beginning. Either way, it was a good idea. It was a great idea. and Great idea. Probably there's like truth in both of those stories. Maybe she had a previous... She had a previous obligation and she's like, well, actually, it would be better if I was Casey. That works a little bit better. And whatever mm-hmm. that judgment call was, it was for the right. It was it was well called because it's so much better yeah. with her dying in the beginning. It is so much better. And I think that's something that that happens. Like sometimes things change and they end up changing for the better. Mm-hmm. And most mostly, I will say that things change for the better. The composer... Uh, who I think did a really good job, Marco Beltrami. He was somebody who was also kind of starting out. This was he his first like movie, su- I think, with a horror. His first feature film. First writer, first... first writer, first composer, first time it, it, big lead for like Nev Campbell. Yes, yes. There's a lot of people who are just kind of starting out their career in the industry. And I feel like you can feel it. There's like a lot of passion in 
mm-hmm. that those their works like Nev Campbell kills it as Sydney. When the part for Sydney opened up, I I think that they really wanted Nev Campbell and tried to like, all right, she's our first choice. Who else do we have? And no one else lived up to to her. Yeah, it seems like that was the case for a lot of people. Like they kind of lucked out with everybody. It's like, oh, we want this character. It's like, well, they're they're like the best one, you know. Like if they got every, like they had a few other considerations, but like no, this our first gut was right with this person. Mm-hmm. They had uh, David Arquette. They wanted him to maybe be Billy, and he's like, actually, I kind of want to play the dumb cop guy because I feel like. I can play this guy who's like not really supposed to be all that smart really well. The whole David thing was very interesting because he was, we, we offered him a role of one of the kids. I read it and um, I came in and I said, uh, Wes, I, I really would rather uh, do the role of Dewey. And he was like, Dewey? Well, why would you want to do that role? It's like, well, I do get to kiss Courtney Cox. And <laughs> if I may say so, Miss Weathers, you are much prettier in person. Mm-hmm. And God God bless David Arquette. I feel like yeah. he did a really good job with Dewey. There's parts about his character that are like, dude, why are you not protecting this house? Why are you starstruck over this reporter who's a terrible person? But it's just, it's like a, you can't hate the guy because he does such a good job of playing this guy. It's He's like endearing, but he's flawed, you know? Yes. And I think that that's everybody in this movie. They they play it like like Tatum, kind of not a great friend because she doesn't show up right when she says she is. But the way that Rose McGowan plays her, it's endearing. Like, I like her. I don't like that she dies, but her death is a pretty good scene. Yeah. Um, For me, it's it, with Rose, it wasn't so much that she was late. It was like how she talks to doing. So I'm like, man, you're taking this really far. But yeah, I like I like the way she talks to Sydney. And it's kind of mm-hmm. like, Damn, this is the most violent thing since and she doesn't say it. You know, like she doesn't reference yeah. Sydney's mother's murder. And also like she's trying to console Sydney after the whole incident at where Ghostface chases Sydney. Like when Sydney's at her house, she's like trying to make her feel better. Like Rose mm-hmm. is like Tatum really does make an effort to be there for Sydney. Yeah, but she is like a high schooler and she yeah. She does have needs, I guess, you know. Oh, and she's dumb, <laughs> but they're all dumb. Like okay. they're like appropriately dumb. They're not yeah. so dumb that you're like you deserve to die for Yes, 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 that's like, the whole thing. Appropriately dumb. Yeah, it's like a yeah, you know what? You're in high school, you're you're just trying to like have fun right now. Y'all young I and horny. I kind of understand like, it. Young and horny like I I I feel like in this movie I remember the characters more than any other slasher movie. Yes, I think they're they're all colorful yes they're all colorful they've all got their like little shtick but it doesn't feel like a shtick if that makes sense Mm -hmm. right like oh you're the you're the obligatory nerd you're the obligatory virgin you're the obligatory whore or what it doesn't feel that way it feels like okay yes if you really want to reduce all these characters down to like certain tropes you can do that but they all there's something more to them yeah and they they all have their little individual seasoning that separates yeah. them from like other horror films. It, characters go a long way to making movies memorable. Mm-hmm. And like Randy is memorable, Courtney Cox is memorable, Dewey's memorable, like Tatum's memorable, Nev obviously is. It's just, just like it, Matthew Lillard, like oh, he's so good. He might be my favorite, but it's, it's a hard pick. I gotta say, I think Nev's my favorite. 
It's a good, it's a good one. Nev is, oh man, that girl's got it bad. She's mm-hmm. just trying to have a normal life, and she keeps getting fucked by everything. You've got Gail on her ass. You got Billy's blue balls. You got fucking her <laughs> father. Just like, oh my god, this girl's just like, just give me some peace and quiet, man. Give me my mom back. You know what mm-hmm. I was thinking? Here's a little sidebar. While watching this movie, you know what I couldn't help but kind of compare Nev to. Or a Sydney too? Who? Harry Potter from the Chamber of Secrets. <laughs> <laughs> you know what oh I think? God, I just, dude. for some reason, I just kept thinking like, Nev- uh, Sydney's kind of like Harry Potter. Like, weird things keep happening to her. She's just trying to lay low, and people think that she's lying. You know, like that scene in the bathroom. Well, suicide's out. You know, it's like Harry, Harry <laughs> can hear like this voice, and he can speak parcel tongue. And he keeps seeing uh, these things, but nobody <laughs> believes him. And he's like, man, oh Harry's kind of weird. People were saying that about Sydney. Man, Sid, you're being kind of weird. And she's yeah. like, I'm just trying to live my fucking life. <laughs> I just kept comparing it to Harry Potter. I'm like, damn. Like, <sighs> I thought that was I thought that was so cool. That's funny. But yeah, all the characters yeah. are memorable and they're casted mm. so well. And it um, feels like they add something to each character. Like yeah. the the writer even said that, like, I feel like this part of Stu is underwritten. And then they cast Matthew Lillard and he just adds so many ad libs. And he's the way he plays them is just he does not have a bad scene. <laughs> My favorite one is when he's like, I think I'm dying, man. <laughs> but but the 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 ad lib part is when uh billy throw like he puts the phone down but it slipped because he had blood so in the in the actual day of filming the phone fell out of his hand because it was filled with blood and he's uh-huh. like you hit me with the fucking phone Brad. Brad. <coughs> i don't know but i'm hurt man Fuck. should i let the machine get it Hello? are you alone in the house bitch you bitch, where the fuck are you? Not so fast. We're gonna play a little game. It's called Guess Who Just Called the Police and Reporting You. Sorry, motherfucking ass! Find you, you dipshit! Get off! I can't, Billy. Oh, you caught me too deep. I think I'm dying here, man. <laughs> Hello? Oh, Stu, Stu, Stu. What's your motive? Billy's got one. The police are on their way. What are you gonna tell them? Peer pressure. I'm far too sensitive. I'm gonna rip you up, you bitch! Just like your fucking mother! You gotta find me first, you pansy-ass mama's boy! Fuck! Uh, fucking hit me with a phone, dick! <laughs> Fucker, where are you? Ah! Ah, you fuck! Did you really call the police? You met your sorry ass, I did. My mom and dad are gonna be so Oh, that wasn't on the script. That was Matthew Lillard saying it's a Billy. <laughs> it seemed like he actually did throw the phone at his head. You know, no, uh, I think I think they got that later, right? Like, oh, I think they okay. filmed Stu's reaction, and then Billy accidentally threw the phone at him because it slipped out of his hand, and then he ad libbed the line, "You hit me with the phone, man!" And they're like, "Oh, that's funny. Like, we should have Billy throw the phone intentionally." Mm, that's funny. That well, was. It's, it's a good happy accident, like a. A good thing that wasn't planned but happened. They, but it just worked out. It, it, uh, it worked out. Another another instance of the of the of the casting working out really well, which you mentioned, which didn't even cross my mind. Jamie 
talking to Jamie Lee Curtis. Mm-hmm. Randy talking to Jamie Lee Curtis saying, hey, Jamie, but we know his name is Jamie Kennedy. Yeah. That's See, brilliant. It's so good. I feel like one, one more thing about Matthew Lillard is he there's that line that he has about the killer having to be strong to, to kill. Right. So it had to be a man. Mm-hmm. And then later on in the film, he's talking about how Buffy is. And he's literally like flipping Rose McGowan like a sign, like a fucking sign spinner. Do you remember that scene? No, I don't. Oh, it's it's when they're he's trying to invite them to the party that he's going to throw at his house. Uh-huh. The way he's like holding Rose McGowan, just like flipping her around. It's like, dude, this guy's pretty strong. <laughs> like maybe, maybe he was trying to like talk himself up in that previous scene about how strong the killer could, had to be. But anyway, great job casting him. Yeah. Great job casting Matthew Lillard or uh, um, Jamie Kennedy for like that moment of um, him watching Jamie Lee Curtis. Like, I don't think that that was something written for Jamie Kennedy. I feel like that was just the way it was. Mm-hmm. And it kind of just happened to work out. Yeah. They almost cast Seth Green and Brecken Meyer. Brecken Meyer. He was in Rat Race. If you mm-hmm. talk yeah. about in the Shrek episode. Um, and I, I feel like Jamie Kennedy hits that like. You're kind of annoying, but we like you. Randy Meeks. He's the Joker, the wild card. And he's the one that you can't quite figure out. And he can comment on everybody because he's slight, just slightly outside the group. Across the table is a fifth wheel Randy. A tall and gangly kid with no such Billy-like aspirations. A witty jokester who elevates geek to coolness. Did you really put her liver in the mailbox? Because I heard that they found her liver in the mailbox next to her spleen and her pancreas. At the time, I was a very struggling actor, and I said, I got to get in for this movie. It was just one of those moments where we'd seen a lot of people for this role for Randy, and we just didn't know where we were going. And I get a call from my agent. She goes, hey, um, it's not bad. It was between him and Breckenmire, but just, you know, it was just that certain something that, that got him the part instead of Breckenmire. And three, never, ever, ever, under any circumstances, say, uh, I'll be right back. I love Breck and Meyer, but Jamie Kennedy really owned that part. Thank you. Well, it's something that Seth Green kind of maybe lacks at times because Seth Green kind of seems a little bit more annoying. And here, well, here's the funny thing. Seth Green was also in Rat Race. He was. Right? Yeah, Seth Green. Both those guys were in Rat Race. Yeah, I feel like he's likable and like Buffy, but in other things, it's like, dude, this guy's a dick. Get rid of him. In Entourage, Seth Green, they make fun of how, what an asshole Seth Green is, because mm-hmm. he's like he's like kind of flirting with one of the one of the characters, like girlfriends. He's mm-hmm. like, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. Sloan and I are friends. We're friends, man. And he's saying it very <laughs> like, and it's like, all right, I'm gonna beat the shit out of you if you keep saying friends that way. So it's the we don't drink Jaeger crew. What up, B? Fucking guy, man. <laughs> hey. Did you tell Sloane I said what up again? Nah, I said I think one time was all she needed. What's that mean? It means she said you used to be obsessed with her. I don't think she needs to feel like you're still obsessed with her. She said I was obsessed with her? Yeah, sorry to say. No, that's all right. No apologies necessary. I mean, in reality, it's more like she was obsessed with this. (laughs) You know what? Keep fucking dreaming, Seth. Keep dreaming. Oh, you're right. I must have been dreaming about how I blasted her in the face like a Jackson Pollock. Seth Green can kind of go into that territory. Jamie Kennedy was perfect. He seems innocent enough, but he's so obsessed with movies. He's like annoying, but 
he's not too annoying where we want to see him die. Yeah. But he's not so likable that we're like, okay, he he's not the killer. He's we like him too much. You know, it's like that perfect middle ground. Yeah. Whereas like Seth Green, I feel like he's he's all killer or he's all annoying or all likable. Breckenmeyer kind of he seems more more scheming than, oh, really? than J.D. Kennedy. Oh, really? I thought Breckenmeyer was more innocent. No, I, I feel like he's, I, he's too schemey. Like, he's like the little finger, you know? Mm, I wouldn't associate it with that. I just think I'm associating his character with... I'm associating him with his character in Rat Race, where he's like... <laughs> the innocent guy that gets sucked into this shitty situation and then he's and then he's being flown by someone who is certifiably crazy which is amy smart (laughs) (laughs) amy smart is fucking crazy in that movie but it's great oh we got to do rat race at some point (laughs) some point yeah some point north a little detour it'll just take a minute i just wanted to say hi to my boyfriend oh I can't believe it. That son of a bitch! That's that's Charlene's car. Charlene? His ex-girlfriend or so I thought. Come on now, I'm sure there's a perfectly innocent explanation. She probably came by just to pick up some clothes or oh. Nice and warm. Okay. Jason Lee was also going to be maybe um, Randy, who was yeah. in Mallrats. He also plays the villain in Dogma. Uh, another guy who's like, nah, this guy's bad. This guy's a villain. You know, that's what I see him anyway. It's funny. There was another point of casting that we've referenced in another episode. Janine Garofalo. Janine Garofalo. Yeah. She was supposed to be, she was Fiona originally mm-hmm. in Shrek, but she was replaced with Cameron Diaz. She was... They offered her the role of Gail, but she turned it down. And then mm-hmm. Courtney Cox eventually kind of uh, wanted pushed for the role. I just thought that was interesting how we've kind of talked about these movies so recently. Yeah. <laughs> Janine Garofalo was actually in Dogma, which I think Dogma would be a good movie to do. I've never but seen it. It is so hard to find. It is so hard to find. It's you can't ridiculous. rent it? No. Really? It's a weird thing. It's... But... Huh. Well, maybe we'll find a way. I don't know. Yeah, she was going to be Gail Weathers, right? Holy shit. I'm sorry. I just looked up Dogma. I know there's a <laughs> sidetrack, but Dogma, the Blu-ray of it is worth $154. Yeah. Ho- what the fuck? Yeah. Okay, I'm Another sorry. time. That, that's another, another time. Idea. I'm sorry. Co- the, the Courtney Cox thing. Um she was playing against type mm-hmm. like people thought oh she can't be she can't be this awful woman like that's that's monica monica geller mm-hmm. which i think makes it she plays this character better i don't, I don't know if she plays her better than she plays monica but damn it when i see courtney cox i'm i don't know i feel like she's more gale than monica <laughs> no i think she's monica <laughs> i think those characters are way too well casted and that's why i think that's why friends was so good but she does play a good Gale Weathers. She plays this character so well. Like, mm-hmm. oh, she's she's perfectly cast. Yeah. The voice of Ghostface. There's a few more things. because I, I can talk about this all day. But the voice of Ghostface. Yes. That uh, was Roger Jackson. And 
mostly everybody had like a cool time filming. Like they all got to be friends and stuff. But there was one character that was kind of isolated. It was the voice of Ghostface. He would be like separated from the rest of the cast. Drew Barrymore would talk to him on the phone. He could see her, but she couldn't see him. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's crazy. They really made this the voice of Ghostface feel like like a separate entity, which mm-hmm. I think made it easier to play against for them because it's kind of he's kind of creepy. Like, dude, oh, this he's guy very can see us, but he we can't see him ever. We're not allowed. But it works. And I'll tell you, I, I didn't know this, but what's his name? Robert. Um, Roger Jackson. Roger Jackson. He's still the the voice of Ghostface. Like in the new Perfect. one, like, he has voiced Ghost Ghostface in all the go- in all the screen movies. It's just iconic. Because I figured, oh, they have different actors. Just put them through a voice synthesizer and call it a day. It's like, no, we are going to the source. Yes, I, I, you know, when do you did you hear about Darth Vader? Like James Earl Jones signed away his voice yes, so that I they did. can use an AI to recreate it for future Star Wars projects. Mm-hmm. I hate that. That I makes like me that feel either. terrible. And I love I love Star Wars, but when I see Darth Vader now, if they with an AI voice, I'm gonna be sitting with my hands folded, like shaking my head, like nah. I, I don't like, like this. it. I don't like it either. Just don't have Darth. You don't need Darth Vader in your fucking movies anymore. But whatever, whatever. Sidetrack. <laughs> I love that they still give Roger Jackson work. Like they go back to this guy to to do the voice. Yeah. It's not just some stupid synthesizer AI thing. Which I thought it was, but it's not. And I think it's because even even the new director's writers know that voice is iconic to Ghostface. That That's what makes Ghostface so interesting. That's what separates him from the pack of the Freddies and the Michaels. It's like, you don't know who, you don't know who's under there, right? It could be anyone, but he has a clear and distinct voice. That voice is Ghostface identity as well. Mm-hmm. right it's it's like a weird thing where ghostface is kind of like in the if you had like a venn diagram ghostface is like in the middle he's a serial killer that we don't know who he is but then we also do know who he is he has like his own identity with his own voice i i think that's so cool and the fact that they're they keep bringing him on to make the new ones i love it i think that's awesome i love that it does make me feel a little bit better about nev campbell not being in the new ones anymore but yeah, whatever well did we ever talk about that we didn't talk about that we we, we didn't we we talked about it very briefly yeah i mean we could, mentioned... we could get into it since we're talking about the cast the cast is i mean they're so well executed they were casted so well that yeah i, I don't know how to feel about nev campbell not coming back i understand passing the torch but i do understand the principle that she kind of laid down because they, they weren't going to pay her as much as she wanted right right and she was like i'm very much like kind of the face of the franchise along with ghostface and i want to be paid what i'm worth mm-hmm. and i'm all for that like i'm all for that get your money yeah and i said this in the first part but i barely i've never seen any of these movies i know a little bit about them but i always associated scream with ghostface and nev campbell mm-hmm. so you know feels weird like it, it's I feel like it's not as much like a passing of the torch as much as it's we couldn't we didn't want to pay her what she was worth or what yeah. she wanted. It's it's it's, it's not a passing of the torch. It's get out the fucking way. It makes me feel weird because she was so important to this movie. Like every everybody was so important to this movie. They all played a part be it behind the scenes or in front of the camera. You know, it's it feels like if 
it makes me feel like what it's supposed to be like when you make movies, mm-hmm. which is funny because we actually did a movie together, George, that we was did. very much inspired by Scream, whether <laughs> or not we knew it at the time or not. <laughs> I, I didn't. I, I didn't know because I hadn't seen the movie, but I was like, oh, this is like a cool serial killer thing. Okay, cool. And we talked about this on our Retrograde Origins episode, but the first time we met was through like a collaborative film project at our college. And George and uh, Sam uh, wrote the script. And the way I interpreted it was to be like a satirical slasher movie, like Mm -hmm. Scream. And George and Sam did not want to do that. They wanted to make it like a straight up horror movie. Yes. And I was like, no, Scream. But I didn't say Scream. But I feel like I was influenced by a movie like Scream very much. And Sam, I, I don't know about Sam, but I had I, at that point, I still had not seen Scream. I wasn't t- truly aware of it. Like I, Scream was just something that I grew up only seeing the mask people dressing up for Halloween. You, people using dressing up as Ghostface for Halloween. That was the only way I was really associated with it. I didn't know about the twists, the meta, the, the parody, the satirical, nothing. I just knew or no, that's a lie. I had known it through Scary Movie as well. So the Halloween costume and the Scary Movie, but I wasn't influenced with actual scream so that kind of like satirical take on horror films just wasn't something that i was even aware of i remember everybody who showed up like they they killed they did their parts very well you know Mm -hmm. and it reading about how the movie was made it kind of reminded me of that it feels like yeah this is how people are supposed to make movies it, it feels cool and collaborative. That was an instance where even I was like, I was like, no, nah, man, you guys made the right call. You and Heather. And do you remember the reaction that the movie got at the people were film? scared? People were laughing like oh, it was it was like the most it was it was awesome. The, it was awesome. The reaction. People were reacting to it. They were loving it. It's like, this is awesome. Like, this is kind of what we do, what we do. Mm-hmm. It was wonderful. It was great. And um there, yeah, so it there is kind of like that weird feeling of Nev not coming back, of them kind of pushing her aside. It's like, eh, you're not really worth it. But um, you know, I mean, that is um, that that will happen at times with the within the film industry or any industry, really. Yeah. So yeah, they almost fired Wes Craven off of screen mm-hmm. because when you shoot movies, right, it's not like edited right then and there like you shoot a movie it's on the reel then okay we're gonna do this thing today this thing tomorrow the studio they're like what have y'all been doing with our millions of dollars let us see the dailies let us see the unedited like footage of what you filmed that day and they looked at the dailies of the first scene and they were like we don't like this this isn't scary bob weinstein was like that mask is stupid you need to find a different mask try a bunch of different shoot that same scene with a bunch of different masks and I'll pick which one I like the most. And they were like, no, you're stupid. This, the, we're not going to do that. It's going to be expensive. It's a waste of time. We like this one. And the mask itself was handpicked by Wes Craven. Like he saw a mask in a store and was like, I love this. No, 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 no. That's not what happened. No, that Didn't, I felt like he was attached to the mask itself. No, no. He liked the He liked the mask a lot. He, ha- he uh-huh. did handpick it. They were filming, so they were looking for locations to film in Santa Rosa. And they went to the house. They went to a certain house that was one of the locations. And they were look, they were walking through the house, through the different rooms, and they saw the ghost face mask on the bed. Or like (laughs) kind of hanging off the off like the little edge of the bed. 
And they looked at it, it's like, oh, that's kind of cool. Because they had seen already concept arts of Ghostface. Because in the script, it was just a masked killer. They didn't, there weren't any real, you know, it, the name was Ghostface, but they didn't have any descriptions. Kevin Williamson didn't put any in. So they were like, all right, give us a bunch of concepts. And the concepts always looked kind of weird. Some of them looked very alien. Just very, mm. very, there's some, there's some, there's a documentary about the making of the film and they show sketches that were drawn for the concept of Ghostface. So we were scouting and we ended up uh, scouting in the house where they shot Shadow of a Doubt. In that house is where I found the Ghostface. There's a woman who was older and her kids were grown up and had moved out. And I went upstairs, it was like her son's bedroom and the ghost mask was sitting there. So we took the mask and we sent it to Dimension Films and they said, okay, we like that. So have your guys make one kind of like that because we don't own it. And he brought it to us and said, this is what I think I want it to be. They were walking through the house, they saw it, it's like, this is what we want. Now, can we create something like this that doesn't infringe on the costume maker's rights or, you know, like the their, um, what's it called? Um, copyright? Yeah, copyright. And they did, but Bob didn't like it. Wes didn't like some of the mock-ups. He's like, I want the mask. So then they they created a version that they filmed with. Wes wasn't completely happy with it. But once they got permission from the actual costume makers, they used the mask at the very end of the film as well. That was just a little sidetrack on on the on the mask. But um Okay. But Wes did pick it. Like he he did like that mask a lot. And and you're right, Bob did not like it. He thought it wasn't scary. Right. I remember the the whole thing about like, well, we want like the mask that we saw. We don't mm-hmm. we don't like the ones that we've come up that were an inspiration from it. We want the actual masks on the bed that we saw. Mm-hmm. That's I love that. I love that because the mask is great. Like you you kind of it ties into the name Scream because it looks like the Scream painting. Like it's great. But they didn't like the they didn't like the dailies. He was gonna get fired, but they ended up editing like a rough cut and they were like oh okay we we get it now go on Ugh, it's well you you know what they edited together the scene with drew barrymore they had a rough cut of her scene they showed it to bob and it was like oh i get it like this is what's happening because they were seeing the dailies of other scenes they're like this is just too i don't get it i don't i don't see it coming together right because you can't you can't get scream without all the pieces there you know, you can't like half pay attention to this movie and s- really see it. And I think that that opening scene is such a great showcase for what the mo- what you're getting into. Brutal, hard, violent, but funny, self-aware, meta. That Drew Barrymore scene is so important. So important. And it was when Drew read the script, she, she said that that was her favorite scene in the, in the whole thing. And uh, uh, so, I mean, I, I stand by it too. It's one of my favorite. It's my favorite that and the ending. They're both mm-hmm. great. I could talk about this for everybody. I kind of want to wind down my side at least. Go for it. Uh, there was a there was difficulty getting the school yes. that they wanted to film at. The school was like, this. There's too much violence in this movie. We're setting the wrong example. And they said there's like a big thing back and forth. And the school board, which made up of like five people, said, no, you can't film here despite the town and the school itself being like, yo, if they did a movie here, that would be great for the economy of the town. School board said no. And then later on, in the commentary at least, a member of the school board was arrested for beating their wife. Oh, shit, what? I didn't know that. 
Now this scene uh, with the dialogue was one of the reasons that we were thrown out of the high school in, uh, <laughs> in Santa Rosa. When the school board read this scene, they gave us a huge note. We cannot have a movie in which teenagers are sitting around talking about bodies being gutted and emptied out. And this resonated for about a month on location. Oh, Everybody yeah. getting wrought up about it, and finally we were... All the letters in the newspaper. Everyone was writing letters to the editor, and all the local newspapers were up in arms, and the whole community sort of jumped onto the bandwagon. Right, like the kids issue. never talked like this before. One of the great ironies of it was that uh, in the middle of all this school board saying you're showing the wrong thing to our kids and setting the wrong example, one of them was arrested for beating his wife, which I thought was a wonderful ironic touch. Yeah, it was really. I, I find it interesting that the high school wanted us there. All the students had signed a petition. The local community seemed to support us for the um, income that was brought to the community as a result of filming there. And then you've got it, you know, the, the morality is uh, the prudence of five people was deciding the fate yeah. of our movie. It was really scary. Yeah, that was on the, the, the commentary. I can't, like, find the, the police report or whatever, but I believe it because, like, everybody is, like, looking out for the safety of the kids. But the people that are the loudest about that who are, like, saying, no, you can't do drag shows, no, you can't have violent video games, they're all secretly terrible people all of them yeah they could be pretty shitty all of them well uh, he, here's what i found about the the school thing and it's interesting because it seems like so they wanted to film in santa rosa high school right it was the perfect setting it felt very it had that americana kind of look to it but there was huge contention because when they saw the scripts they were like oh there's a lot of gratuitous violence towards children and we just don't want to advocate for that now the school was cool with it and the students really liked it. It was the parents and the school district that had an issue with it. Parents did not want that happening. And so you're wondering, okay, well, what, what's the big deal? It's a movie. They filmed movies all over the place. Well, three years prior to Scream being made, there was a violent murder in the area. Here, here's the quote. Comparisons were made between film violence and the kidnapping and murder of Polly Class three years prior which had left the area sensitized towards violence. This was sentencing day in one of the most notorious murder cases of our time. A judge in San Jose, California, accepted the recommendation of the jury and condemned Richard Allen Davis to death for the kidnap, rape, and murder of 12-year-old Polly Class. The sentence was expected. What happened in the courtroom before it was handed down was not. As Richard Allen Davis awaited sentencing today, he listened as Mark Class, the father of his victim, addressed the court. He has made innocent people suffer, and truly the honorable way out would be for him to commit suicide. The high-profile search for Holly Class, kidnapped from her own bedroom three years ago, made her face familiar across the country. After she was found murdered, her father rose to prominence as an advocate for tough laws to protect children. But he has always focused on seeing Davis sentenced to death. He broke the contract. For that, he must die. And Mr. Davis, when you get to where you're going, say hello to Hitler, say hello to Dahmer, and say hello to Bundy. And good riddance, and the sooner you get there, the better we, are, we all are. Davis was also allowed to speak. For the first time, he showed some hint of remorse, apologizing to Polly's mother, Eve Nichols. To Eve Nichols and her family, for what it's worth, I do offer my sincere apology. To 
to certain members of the Kloss family, I also offer the same. Then he got in a last word, adding insult to an already unspeakable injury. I would also like to state for the record that the main reason I know that I did not attempt any lewd act and that was because of a statement the young girl made to me when walking her up the embankment. Just don't do me like my dad. I have to pay my dues, so should Burn you. hell, Davis. Moments later, Richard Allen Davis was sentenced to death. See, that kind of makes sense then. That that part does. That part makes a bit more sense. And you read up on some of the details of what happened. She was kidnapped from her house. She was stabbed. She was stabbed like a bunch of times. Ugh. Like it was brutal. I think she was, I believe she was tortured as well. She was kidnapped from her home. Uh, she was tortured and stabbed a bunch of times. And that had let people that had left people really disturbed and upset. And now here you have a movie where the very beginning it's a young it's a young girl being stabbed and, and you have people and you have claims of rape and murder and it's just a bunch of teens being chopped up. It's like, okay. I, I with that bit of context, I understood a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a huge debate about it. People being like, um, you know, it's like, oh, s- filming here can benefit the town as a whole. Other people were arguing that it was infringing on their First Amendment rights. Um, there was basically a huge three-hour debate on April sixteenth, where like the school board was like listening to parents while the movie was already filming, and <laughs> it was just like that's when they denied access to the filmmakers mm. and were like we can't allow it basically what they did is they had a big town hall and everyone was allowed to say their piece and so one citizen after the other would come up and give their opinion as to whether or not we should shoot there it was a vocal crowd that greeted school district directors tonight along with not one but two long lines of people ready to comment on the controversy the entire scientific community has reached a consensus that violent viewing viewing is harmful for people. It's harmful for most harmful for young people. It's harmful. Those opposed to the movie cited the violence expected to be associated with the horror flick as a reason for banning the film crew from campus. And they voted us out. In retrospect, I can understand the the trauma that was on that that area because of uh, of that case. But uh, they were very harsh. We were treated like scum. And it's funny because. At the very end, Wes Craven, in the credits of the film, he he put at the very bottom, no thanks whatsoever to the Santa Rosa City School District Governing Board. <laughs> that's in the actual credits. Oh, I didn't see that. That's it's at the bottom. That's great. That's so, so, I, that's I, so petty. I understand the community's reaction, especially just being three years after the murder of this. How old was she? She was like too young. Like no one should be murdered like that. But Twelve years old. She was 12 that's years terrible. old. So that's up. I get that. But it's also, you know, it's it's a movie. But, but it's it, not really about their that person's murder specifically. It's, it's, it's not kind of something else. Mm-hmm. But it is. I can see if the town was more sensitive to that. But it. I don't know. Yeah. But um. but they, they did have difficulty. Now, they did film it. They filmed the high school scenes in a community center. I think they had to like remodel the inside, mm. uh, add lockers and stuff. Oh, it's in the Sonoma community center, but it works great. I, I bought it. Yeah. I didn't even question that it was a high school mm-hmm. or that it wasn't a high school. Sorry. That, that was or, a big thing though. Yeah. 
I think there was like one thing that I wanted to touch on because I thought it was really interesting. Mm-hmm. And also, I, I'd really try to look in to see if the line was made in response to this or not. But the movie was almost rated NC-17. Yes. Because of the violence. And if you go back and see those scenes that would have given it the NC-17 rating... I don't think you would agree with the MPAA. Hell no. Fuck no. They are not that violent compared to the films we get now. To some of the films we got before that, I'm not really sure why. Maybe it, I think it might have been because the movie was so self-referential. And there's a line in particular that Wes Crave, because the way the MPAA MPAA, MPAA, I don't know how you're, you're supposed to say it, but MPAA sounds better. They said, look at these scenes. This is where we have problems. When we were going through the MPAA challenges on screen, which were sort of rampant, I think we had to go back nine times. It's very, very lengthy, very expensive. And the MPAA can say, okay, we're gonna look at it again in two weeks. And you're, you're screwed. The MPAA is always, you know, is always after us. It's always the worst thing in the world for a director to cut anything. Although Craven initially refused to cut anything from his movie, Dimension Films could not afford to gamble on an NC-17 rating. So we had a little bit of a battle with Bob Weinstein because obviously they don't want to put a movie out as an NC-17. Um, so Wes lost that battle. And we ended up making some cuts. It's hard when you don't get your rating to understand why is it too much blood? Is it too much gore? Well, look, let's, let's speak frankly. I think, you know, genre films, horror films, slasher films are about human beings doing cruel and horrible things to each other. And the can... scene, some of the scenes were like the amount of blood at the final scene. There was the, the amount of the way that the organs fall out mm-hmm. of Casey's boyfriend in the opening scene, um, that that was too much. You can't show blood dripping like this that's too much and then there was a particular line that billy said that the whole like movies don't create psychos they make psychos more creative um there's a quote saying that like the mpaa they don't like you speaking that kind of truth because you know like there were there are copycat killers out there that i i think during or after the movie the Kubrick movie, A Clockwork Orange, Mm -hmm. there were copycat killers after that. And, you know, you don't want to make a movie that will inspire someone to go kill somebody. But I don't think that's the reality. Like, the reality is people, there are some really sick people out there that that kill people, you know? Mm -hmm. And they're going to do that whether or not they saw a movie. But I I agree 100%. It is always tough because you, you can't not acknowledge the influence that certain movies will have on people but you also can't Mm. overestimate you can't overestimate it you know what i mean like people like these kids shot up columbine because they were playing doom it's like i don't believe that for one second no that doesn't psychologically change playing a video game or watching a movie does not psychologically change you because if that was the case motherfuckers would be running people all the time because gta 5 is one of the highest grossing pieces of entertainment of all time everybody and their mother has played or has heard about gta 5 and everyone every teen out there has played gta 5 we are not running down hookers and shooting down police officers because of it it doesn't and and people have been doing all of that all those awful things even before before. movies and video games were even a thing yes but 
there but there is some potential for influence in a different manner that line it, it, that's a that that way you put it you can't acknowledge certain truths it's like huh so that was the quote from the that people said the yeah. i think the producers or the screenwriter they that's their 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 line mm-hmm. i will not take credit for it but it does fit and if the shoe fits you know mm-hmm. uh we can't acknowledge we cannot acknowledge the power that movies do have and kind of how sometimes people's misinterpretation of it can lead them to believe certain things you know yeah i mean this happens all the time you just mentioned it with clockwork orange but that's a that's a discussion for another time even the movie itself even comment comments on that because when the killings happen in the world of the movie the kids start buying the costume and like running around with it like that's and that's not an indictment of a generation i feel like that's just how people are Mm -hmm. like the way that they cope with like these terrible things is to like make fun of it and be really cynical and detached from it because it will like kind of protect you yeah you know absolutely and it it is it does seem kind of insensitive though like someone's dead and you're like wearing the mask of the killer trying to scare your friends like that's fucked up but that's what people do it is terrible but that's but that's what happens and to not acknowledge it is just as bad Mm -hmm. i saw those like changes that the mpaa wanted and it's so stupid and ridiculous it's so dumb it was um west craven said i'm a director who can do something very well but I'm not allowed to put it on screen. And they ultimately get you as they did on this one, on intensity. They say, it's not a specific shot. It's not blood. It's just too intense. Now, I will agree with them there. The movie is intense. It's all around very graphic and very bloody. I mean, even at the end, like every, everyone at everyone at the very end is covered in blood. Everybody. Yeah. Like there's not one character who's not covered in blood. <laughs> it's just how much of it is in there. Even even her dad, who has nothing to do with the story, has like blood on him. Where the fuck did that blood come from? It's been tied up for like three days. Yeah, but I that guess. doesn't make you instantly bloody. And it's just everyone's stepping on blood. There's <laughs> blood print footprints with blood everywhere. Like it's just it's it is intense. But for them to be like, yeah. oh, we can't have Kenny's reaction to his throat getting slashed because it's too intense. It's like, bro. It... I can remember when Wes had to go back and take some frames out of Kenny's death scene because they said the look on my face was too too disturbing and it had to be trimmed. And Wes's argument was, it's murder. It should be disturbing. I don't know. Now, did you hear about how they got the R rating? I, I believe Bob Weinstein was involved. Yes. He went and talked to the MPAA. So, like, the name change and... Uh, the talking to the MPAA to get the R rating to make this one of the highest grossing slasher movies ever made were good additions to the movie. Yeah. And and he spoke to them and he was like, he kind of expressed that there are comedic elements and satire. It's not just a mm-hmm. horror film glorifying violence. And I guess with that conversation, you know, he could have strong armed them or it could have been a lot stricter. I don't know. It is that might have been strong arming. Though. It is one of the Weinstein brothers. So these were some of the most powerful men in Hollywood for decades. But better. I, but and I, worse. A lot worse. Yes. Especially Harvey. Harvey was the the shit, the really bad one. Um, yeah. But I give give credit where credit is due. You know, I guess get West <laughs> West was having a difficult time getting this movie made and with the help of Bob Weinstein he was able to to get him off his back 
and yeah procure that r rating i thought that that was a really interesting like behind the scenes kind of thing and i'm i was wondering that scene in the beginning where we first meet billy he says to to sydney we we started off like an r-rated movie and well on our way to an nc-17 what happened and i'm like wait wait did they write that when they were having issues getting the movie rated or was that always a part of the movie i think that was always there make that reference is like i want to make a porno you know like when they sleep together it's like yeah so i I think it was intentional and with how detailed this movie is i'm pretty i would lean on it being something that they plan to get from the beginning and not a reaction to the mpa having actual difficulties with the mpa i don't think so okay I, just just because of it's we've it seems been, funny like it's like on the nose kind of no no like, it, it is very funny i think it was like a happy accident but i think because mm. we've, we've talked about how detail oriented they were right with some of the things story elements and i think um i think that's just what it was mm-hmm. one other thing that the weinstein and Bob Weinstein wanted in the movie, which I think, I don't know, he just seems like an idiot, but he, <laughs> he wanted, there was a, a section in the movie where nobody dies. Yes. And he's like, what's wrong? Why is nobody dying? You got to kill somebody. I think, do you need to kill somebody? Not really. But the whole principal's death was because Weinstein wanted someone to die. And he didn't care how, he just wanted it to happen, which is, Yeah. Okay, <laughs> but by adding that scene with the principal, that's that explains like why it's so out of left field because the producer wanted it in the movie and he didn't care how. But by adding it into the movie, you now gave a reason for all the characters, all the non-essential characters to leave the house at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. So it worked out. That's why it, it felt so weird is because it wasn't, supposed to happen in originally <laughs> yeah well it, that it's funny because that's when i was watching his death it's like oh well this feels kind of out of left field it's like i don't i don't really get how this is connected to anything and at the very end it's like oh he's dead and he's in the football field let's go let's go number one that's when i was like okay it's to get rid of everybody else in the house and two it does kind of show how low-key terrible these kids are <laughs> <laughs> or it, it continues that it continues that like um showing just how morbid and cynical some of these kids are because they've been doing it the whole time the whole time they're just like yeah talking about sydney's mother they're talking about they're making fun of her they're saying how she's doesn't want to kill herself because it's not in you know and um, yeah it also shows the hypocrisy of the principal because what is he what is he doing he's playing around with the mask the same thing he was like chastising the kids for doing Mm mm-hmm you know, exactly. So, so it's so it, it, it works. It, it worked it just, out. Yeah. The section here with the principal is that uh, came as a result of um, Bob Weinstein. And after he had bought the script, he felt that there was a 30 pages where nothing happened. And he yes. called me up and said, you got to kill somebody, Kevin. Hello? Someone's <laughs> got to die. And you're having there's like 30 minute gap where no one's getting offed. So um, he said, I don't care how you do it. Just do it. So this is sort of. So, Bob, this is for you. (laughs) It was a a problem in the script. I didn't know how to get rid of all the partiers. You know, we wanted to isolate our our core group. And um, and then once when Bob came up with the idea, when Bob said you have to kill somebody else, and I chose the principal, then it was there was the answer. Right. And in addition, I got to carry on that hard-edged, cynical attitude that children have today. 
Yeah, it's funny and terrifying at the same time, the way they run out. Anything else you wanted to go over? I feel like I've, I've talked too much about this movie. I, <laughs> I did I'm sorry. To, no, 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 no. Don't apologize. I Even I was like, this is going to be a long one because there's just too many things to talk about. And we're still just scratching the surface because we're not even considering, we're not even talking about the sequels and kind of what their commentary yeah. on horror is. <laughs> Um, I think this, the sequels are way better than you'd expect them to be for the most part. Well, better than like, like the Halloween sequels, the Friday, Friday the 13th sequels. The, yeah. Yeah. It's like like what uh, Casey says in the beginning, the rest are trash. That's not the case with Scream. No, it seems like people really like them and it's still going strong. And the general consensus is that the third one's the weakest. And as we know, plans changed for the third one. And, mm-hmm. and and we mentioned it we mentioned it earlier with the feedback that they got and the pushback that they got from the city of Santa Rosa, right? Because the death because of the death of a little girl hurt them so much they didn't want you know they didn't want more of that you know and with some of the pushback that they got after Scream was released, I think that's why it was smart of them to pivot Scary Movie Three because as I mentioned earlier, Scary Movie Three was supposed to bring back Stu and kind of have him be like. Have him teach people how to be Ghostface so they could commit murders while he was in prison. That was the original plan. But because Columbine had happened before the third one was being worked on, they had to scrap it because they were because I'm guessing they're like, look, man, we got a lot of shit for the original scream. We do not want to go with this. And Columbine was and still is a big fucking event. You know, like it's something that is in our history books. Yeah. So they were like, look, you know what? Fuck it. Just rewrite it. Just make another scary movie. Let's not let's not be meta. Let's not be edgy. Let's not try to reinvent the fucking wheel. Let's just let's avoid any potential. Because, I mean, think about it. You got Columbine where you've got kids killing people in schools and stuff like that. And now you have a movie where there's a person who's teaching kids how to kill. Mm-hmm. It could be kind of bad. Yeah, it, it could, could be kind of bad. It could I'm, feel kind of like in poor taste. Yes. And we have, I mean, we've talked about that plenty of times here. Poor taste in jokes, poor poor taste in situations. So it's like, I, with context and in hindsight, I could see why they pivoted three. And that would explain why yeah. three is the worst one. Well, so. I don't know. I don't, like, I, I, I feel like maybe there was something else going on there too. Because, like, why, why not include that writer at all in part three? Someone who was so instrumental to, to the first two films like why not include him at all i think if kevin williamson was so committed to making scary movie or uh scream three the way he saw it with that original story of Stu, you know and they asked him is there any other story that you could write he just said no this is the one i want to do and i'm gonna stick to my guns and they're like all right well look man this this franchise is too profitable people want another one we gotta end the trilogy wes wants to come back if you won't write it we're gonna find someone who will I could see that being ha- that happening as well. Not to negate what you're saying, because that could ve- very well been the case that there was maybe some beef and Kevin walked away. But I could see what I was saying as well. Go down. Can you write this story? Can you write another one? No, I don't want to. This is the story I want to write. It's like, all right, well, too bad. We'll go with someone else. Mm. But both seem possible, honestly. But yeah, it's, I, I, you know, and I get it. And I, and that's the thing too. This movie had a lot of controversies surrounding it. It's just controversy after controversy because they had, sorry, they had the, um, they had the, the situation with the Santa, Santa Rosa high school. But mm. after the movie was released, there were a lot of copycat crimes that were really difficult. And 
you know, people kept going to the ghost face to scream kind of influencing people's um here's just a quick thing in january 90 in january 1998 16 year old mario padilla and his 14 year old cousin samuel ramirez stabbed mario's mother gina castillo 45 times killing her jesus Christ. the case became known as the scream murder and fell under intense media scrutiny after the boys claimed they were inspired by scream and scream 2 now this is what um during their trial, Madeline Levine, a psychologist who studied the effect of violence on children, stated, There were a bunch of reasons why they acted that way. But did the movie provide a blueprint? Absolutely. On January 17, 1999, a year later, 13-year-old Ashley Murray was stabbed multiple times in the head and back before being left for dead by his friends Daniel Gill and Robert Fuller, 14 and 15 respectively. He was later found and saved by an elderly man walking his dog. The pair were dubbed the Scream Attackers. After it emerged that they had watched Scream shortly before the attack and drawings on of the ghost face mask were found among their possessions, their actions were additionally blamed on f- physical abuse, drugs, and exposure to black magic in their home life. To, to black magic? Yeah, I, I don't know what's going on with that one exactly, but... That seems like all that satanic panic I was talking yeah. about earlier. <laughs> It's, it's it, it, and that was happening. That happened. I feel like the way that those those art that article in particular is written is to incite fear. Like it is to like give you a reason, give you something tangible to blame on these horrific acts, which you know, people have always not, done. Mortal Kombat, it's, Doom. It, it it's always happened, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't. I mean, I'm not a psychologist. I I don't know. I don't think movies cause. Or I don't think movies can make you go crazy just automatically, but right. I but mean, it is something that you can you can point the finger at and say, "Look, this is the reason." You know, never mind all the other stuff. Like if like I'm sure you, they found a lot of other stuff in their possession, right? Mm-hmm. But the thing that gets headlines, the thing that gets clicks, the thing that like gets people talking is, "Look, screen mask, ghost face." There we go. Video games. Man, it's got doom. Me- let me tell you, to reinforce what you're saying right now, the survivor, Ashley Murray, he would later go on to testify, and he stated that he believed the film may have influenced the pair to attack him. He said that. Now, I can't blame him for saying that shit. If I was at, mm-hmm. the, if I was at the end of that assault, I, I would have probably said the same thing. Um, probably never see the movie the same way again. Absolutely not. No, no fucking way. I wouldn't be able to watch a movie that had something like that. I potentially, I don't know. I, shit, I wouldn't fucking know, but it has to fuck with you. Mm-hmm. On May 4th, 1999, following the Columbine High School massacre and increasing news media reports on the effects of violent films, games, and other media on society, the United States Senate Commerce Committee held a hearing about Hollywood's marketing of films to youth. The committee focused specifically on horror film. The opening scene of Scream, featuring the murder of Casey Becker, was shown to the committee as an example of negative media, which may be viewed by children. Oh God. So it goes back to what you were saying. And lastly, on June 3rd, 2002, a 17-year-old boy lured his friend, 15-year-old Alice, last name French, I can't pronounce it. Uh, he lured her, his friend, 15-year-old Alice, out of her parents' house in some city in France and stabbed her 42 times while wearing a ghost face mask. He ran away when he saw a neighbor approaching, and the girl told the neighbor the name of her attacker, 
before she died from her injuries. After being arrested, the boy told police that he had wanted to kill someone to emulate the Ghostface character from Scream. Now, we're not here to talk about whether movies do cause violence or not. From what I know, I don't think that's the case, that watching a movie will make you want to go murder someone or that it will psychologically change you. Because you and I, Austin, have seen a bunch of violent stuff, both in movies and in video game. Not in real life, but in media. And yet, Mm -hmm. we've never killed anyone. Mm -hmm. But, But the reason I want to talk about this is because we can't ignore this either, I don't think. Like, blaming Scream for these murders is is one thing. I'm, I'm not trying to do that. We talk about, on this podcast, we talk about things. We talk about the films. We try to review them in their own merits, what they mean outside of just the film, how they've aged, and kind of what they have influenced. And this is, mm-hmm. there's just a lot of things surrounding this movie, controversies that have existed past it, with people saying, well, we like Scream 1 and 2. We love Ghostface. We, you, you know what I mean? And it would be dumb of us to just ignore that. Mm-hmm. What do we make of it? I don't know. I'm sure there's studies by smarter people than us that have looked into <laughs> yeah. it, that have researched it. So I, I can't really definitively comment, but it's kind of gross hearing all this, you know? Yeah. And yeah, it's gross. It fucking sucks hearing about a child stabbing his mother 45 times, about a, little, a 17-year-old boy stabbing a, a girl 42 times. You know, and, you know, it's fucking depressing. And it's fucking depressing because I love the movie. I think this is a mm-hmm. great movie that if you're into horror stuff, you should watch it. And yet now I'm hearing all this and I'm just like, what the fuck is wrong with you people? You know, and yeah. it's depressing. And then you hear fucking Wes Craven saying, I didn't want to do Scream because I didn't, because there's some tendencies of of, horror, of the horror genre that are misogynistic. And I just don't want to be a part of that. There are some things where it has extreme violence on people. And I kind of don't want to do that as much anymore. He's aware of this. Now imagine this man looking at these stories, which I'm sure he did. He was alive when those stories came out. Probably makes him feel bad. And he's like, I just want to make a piece of entertainment. Just something that you put on the fucking TV and watch and have fun. That's it. I don't know. I just, I I wanted to talk about that. I wanted to bring it up. It just would have felt wrong not to mm-hmm. but it, it does tie into the whole like it makes psychos more creative like i don't know if they probably would have still stabbed somebody 42 times but they probably wouldn't have been wearing a ghost face mask it's odd man i mean hearing about those stories kind of fucked with me a little bit you know i, I still enjoy the movie don't get me wrong i think it's fun yeah but um I don't know, because even before I was so confident in saying movies do not cause movies do not make you want to kill people. At least that's always been the case with me. And but yeah, there's there's the I think the the issue with with these like actual murderers and actual serial killers is a lot deeper and it's not like an easy problem to fix. No, it's not. What gives people comfort is knowing that there is something to blame. Mm-hmm. there's one reason one thing that we can take away that then suddenly there would be no more of this happening but that's just not it mm-hmm. you know there was a debate in the movie um, whether or not to disclose the motive of the victims you know but like i don't psych sociopaths psychopaths they don't really need a reason you know it's then that is kind of a scary thing it is scary and i i just i don't know man it just feels all wrong 
and and it, it was just funny because researching i love the movie and then researching it at face value i'm looking at some of these things i'm like well that's crazy that's stupid why would they get upset about this and then looking into it more i'm like oh god like this is just weird you know like with the santa rosa high school with the school mm-hmm. district that's so stupid why aren't you letting them film a, a cool movie it's hollywood like this is gonna be great for your business it's like yeah but a little girl died here like three years ago kind of in the same way that she died in the that, that drew barrymore died in the movie it kind of fucking with us we just don't want that anymore you know this could trigger people. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, I kind of get it. You know, I'm, I am I get both sides. Like Wes Craven and company just want to make a movie. Let them make a movie, which they did. But I also understand the parents and the families being like, look, man, this, this murder shook the community and we're still reeling from it. And you can't say that that's not a valid reason because I guarantee you that that's, that's what happened after Columbine. And that's what's oh, yeah. still happening now to this day. Yeah, I remember there was a a scene in um, Obi-Wan where like, you know, like you have the Order 66 happen, right? And these kids who are at a school, you know, it's a school to be a space wizard, but still a school. They're getting shot by people. Mm -hmm. And that that debuted shortly after a real life incident where somebody shot up a school like it. It feels weird. It feels sad watching something that happened in real life or hearing about something that happened in real life represented in in a film or in a tv show even though they're not even really related directly yeah and and if you're someone who's like well they should just get over it or anything bro be somewhat sensitive mm-hmm. you know like I, I get it nobody i know has ever been murdered that way but I, I, at least i have enough empathy to say well that's shitty it's just maybe have enough a little bit more empathy for some of these people you know and it yeah. was like oh i was lacking some empathy for them for them when i was reading up the story and i'm here is like oh and i'm also hearing oh well you know they you know the filmmakers were worried about how gratuitous it was how violent this movie is like man you're being silly it's not it's not it's fun it's a movie and stuff and then you're hearing about all these people being stabbed 42 45 times stabbing children and pa- and, and mothers yeah i don't i don't think that it's i still don't think it's correlated but it is it is something that uh, is tied to scream now it is and you know, it, so it can't... sours it sours yeah. a little bit you know it's mm-hmm. just like and not even not even from the filmmakers perspective not even i'm not even blaming them i'm blaming just the people it's just like oh goodness gracious it's just like, like there's that one guy that shot up a theater right and he said i'm the joker afterwards oh something like yeah yeah and or it like was the colorado the night the dark night rises screening mm-hmm. no i don't even think he said that i think he just had dyed hair like i think he dyed his hair green or something or orange and and people just associated him with the joker because he looked like a clown or something I think that's what it was too but 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 that's but that's the thing these movies are going to be tied to that and we're always going to talk about that Colorado shooting. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate. And I just, I don't know. Yeah. I felt like we had to bring it up. That's good that she brought it up. I think. It, I, look, I'm man, a... it's, we, we, it's, a, it's the legacy that Scream also has. It has a, it's a great movie, fantastic film, but this is also attached to it. Whether we like it or not, just, just, just it is what it is. It's like, it's like every other movie, you know? Yeah, it's like when when The Matrix came out, it was a great movie, but there's also like those weirdos that misinterpreted it and have co-opted the the phrase red pill. Like <laughs> people saying red pilled is a, a red flag now. Like that's 
chances are they're they're pretty scummy. Yeah. And again, and movies, they, you know, when when you're going when we're going back and revisiting these movies, half of it is the actual film and what they're doing in the film, and the other half is historically where does this film lie in? You know? What has this yeah. influenced? How has it shaped society? What can we read from that? And that's part of it, you know? Mm-hmm. So but well, I think that's mm. everything we have on scary movie. Yes. Or uh, God, I've been doing that the whole time. <laughs> we that's all we have on Scream. Yes, Scream. I I think this movie holds up so well. I love yes. this movie. I I forgot how much I love this movie. So it's good. awesome. Um, but this is the part of the episode where, in lieu of a five star system, we summarize how we feel about a movie with a quote from the movie. It can be our favorite quote. It can be a quote that made us laugh, or it could be a quote that summarizes the conversation we just had. George usually goes first, and George usually breaks the rules. I do. Uh, so mine's is a two-parter, and mine <laughs> isn't really. Um, they're kind of like a. It's like a two-part. Like one kind of influenced the other, and it's not mm-hmm. so much how I feel about the movie. It's kind of how I feel about um, after researching the film, and I love the film. Mm-hmm. But it's that line that we were saying, you know, because after researching all the controversies and kind of the production troubles, um, it was um, my first quote is is by Sydney. And she's like, you sick fucks. You've seen one too many movies. And Billy's like, now, Sid, don't you blame the movies. Movies don't create psychos. Movies make psychos more creative. And I don't know, just after researching everything, that was like the quote that I kind of like. It's like, ah, oh, this just sticks with me a little bit more. It means something else now to you it does it's not just about referencing the past films halloween and friday the 13th it's for me that quote now references the murders that came that were directly tied to this movie and my second quote is almost like i would say indirectly tied to the movie indirectly tied well i i mean i i'd say directly tied because then you have congress playing a scene from the movie in their you know like i'm not trying to say that scream caused those those murders but there, uh, there does seem to be a link that people are making between that movie and some of these murders. And that link, whether we like it or not, whether the studio likes it or the filmmakers, is tied to that film, you know, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And um, and the second quote is from, actual, is from uh, Henry Winkler, the principal, and he <laughs> says, You make me so sick. Your entire havoc-inducing, thieving, whoring generation disgusts me. And that's how I feel about the kids that that committed these the the, the people that murdered, <laughs> you know, like the, the the controversy I was just talking about. It's like, uh, what the fuck's wrong with you? Yeah, so, uh, it's so uh, it's so funny how you know you have older people say stuff like that, but then like their generation blocks little black children from going to school. Oh yeah, I, <laughs> it's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> you know, shut the fuck up. Yeah, it's it's like. You are so like in your own shit that you don't even realize how what a hypocrite you are. Yeah, when uh, when people say this generation, I'm like, uh huh. And what did your generation do? Hmm? Let's let's open up a history book. Let let me that know you didn't how... censor yet. Exactly. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's like Fucking tell idiots, me how dude. how me being on TikTok is bad, and I'll just name all the other shit that your generation has done. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but um, um, okay. You great quotes, great quotes. 
Um, I also broke the rules because I was like, okay, if he doesn't pick this one, I'm going to pick this one. And you know what? Fuck it. I'm, you didn't pick either one of them. So okay. here we go. First quote I have is a, kind of about how this movie is in conversation with everything else. Uh, when Sydney tells Billy, this is life. This isn't a movie. And Billy says, sure it is, Sid. It's all a movie. It's all one great big movie. Which is like, yeah, we're watching a movie. You're a character in the movie. You're telling us it's a movie. But like, it's all one great mood, big movie. Makes makes it feel like all these movies are in conversation with each other. They influence each other. Like a, a director can see something in a movie that will inspire them to do something in their movie. And that will inspire the next generation of directors to do something else, to, to kick it up a notch. You know? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like Scream Scream walked so that a movie like Cabin in the Woods can run, mm-hmm. you know, because they're both very meta movies. But I feel like Cabin in the Woods is kind of forced to, to take it up a notch. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't just say, oh, this is like in that movie, right? Because, like, that's what Scream does. In, in, in Cabin in the Woods, they literally show you that movie and explain that these movies are a part of something else. Mm-hmm. And it, I, I like the way Cabin in the Woods is kind of a deconstruction, not only of horror movies, but of the way horror movies are made, like the, the products that is the horror movie that we consume. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The movies that we watch. Uh, so I, I liked that. I liked because it's very it's why Scream is so good, because it takes what was before and adds something to it. It adds to that language of of horror films and mm-hmm. it saved horror films you know it was one of the highest grossing horror films until or highest grossing slasher until freddy versus jason no 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 until no 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 until halloween halloween the 2018 oh one. that's right i read that wrong yeah crazy uh, yeah that's wild adjusted for inflation scream was kicking ass until 2018 <laughs> nice um, the other quote I have was really funny because it reminded me of what we do on the podcast. Uh, it's after, you know, the killers have like revealed their plans and they've said what they were doing. Um, Stu, he says, watch a few movies, take a few notes. It was fun. <laughs> <laughs> I like which that. We, which is what we do. I feel like it'd be really funny if, if we... Um, pretended to be Stu and, and Billy. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, that'd be so cool. Oh, man. That might be funny. I don't know. Oh, that would be so cool. <laughs> We're not murderers, we swear. Not yet. We no, 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 no. Oh, my God, dude. No, no. Don't, don't narc on us. We're not killers. <laughs> All right. Well, but listen, anyway. guys, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I know it's a really long one, but we had so much to say about Scream. This is probably one of the most influential horror films in a long time. And there was so much to talk about. It was it's insane. So thank you for listening. If you got all the way through the end, thank you. We appreciate it so much. Our next one is going to be an, another banger, but we're going to be going old school old 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 school school. austin what movie are we going to be talking about next episode we will be talking about one of the greatest movies of all time it's on a lot of people's lists the greatest movie of all time 
Casablanca, mm-hmm. starring Humphrey Bogart, and I don't know her name. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't either. But we will know her name when we come back. Shit. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll do her. We'll do her some justice because I think she's she's great in that movie. Yeah, she's awesome. Casablanca. I'm not even gonna try. I'm not even gonna try. I don't know. I'm sorry. Revoke my film card. Whatever. I don't care. <laughs> I don't remember. We just talked about screen for three hours. My brain is a mess. Yeah, same. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, so catch us in two weeks, and we should have the Patreon up. I hope by by now, because this. Yeah, I think we'll have the Patreon up. So please check us out there. Uh, we will. We have about four episodes. On the $2 level, which is like the first entry fee, you'll get access to two of those episodes. At the $5 level, you'll have access to all of them. At the $15 level, you'll have access to all of them. And the title of Executive Producer of Retrograde Podcast. So, you know, you pay pay whatever you want or don't. Just keep listening to us every two weeks. We do the regularly scheduled episodes. Um, information will be on our website. It, it will be on our social media. You can follow us at retrograde underscore pod on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, retrograde podcast on YouTube. We also have a Discord. Just DM us on one of those social uh, media sites and, you know, if, we can confirm that you are a human, not a robot. Uh, we'll let you in. And then we can talk about the Patreon stuff there, too. Uh, the channel's put up for just Patreon stuff. Yeah, that's all I have to say. Cool. We'll see you in two weeks for Casablanca. See ya.